is in Romans chapter 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed uh, to programming down the hall just for them. And for the rest of you, welcome today. And welcome to those who are joining online. We are glad that you're tuning in and uh, joining us for worship at the 11 o'clock hour in, at Community. I want to start out today with a line from Henry Nouwen. It goes, goes like this, that our belovedness and our blessedness form the essential context for confronting our brokenness. We have been in a series where we're talking about sin, and we've discovered that sin is first and foremost a power. It is a parasitic force that takes the good things that God has made and eats away at them until they are no more. And in the early centuries of Christianity, some Christians got together and they began to put these powers of sin into definitive categories. And so they were like doctors diagnosing this parasitic force that is killing us. And the result was a catalog of these powers at work in us. Seven broad areas where sin latches onto our souls and it begins to erode our blessedness and our belovedness until all we're left with is brokenness. Now, you won't find um, this list in the Bible, but you will find scripture after scripture that deals with these things, things like pride and envy and sloth and greed and lust and anger and gluttony. These are seven ways that we assault ourselves and, and those around us, and we assault the world as a whole, and they become known as the seven deadly sins. And what we uh, reiterate every week is that they are, in fact, deadly. If, if they gain a significant hold on our hearts, then they just dig further and further in until all that once was beautiful in us is no more. And so this series is a question every week. How do we wreck this, the sin in our life before the sin in our life wrecks us? Uh, or another way to put it is, are there spiritual seatbelts at our disposal that will keep us safe as we drive? And each, each week we've found them, and there's a pattern that emerges in every, every antidote that we've come up with for our sin. And the, the, the pattern is that what draws us out of the brokenness and the bondage of sin in our lives is the power of love. It's the power of God's love in us. And so as we talk about sin each week, please know we need to talk about this because sin wrecks us. Sin really does destroy us. But around this discussion and underneath it and above it, we need to keep this in mind, that sin should never be the first word or the last word about us. The first word, the last word about us should be God so loved us. If we have any hope of wrecking the sin in our life, it will be because we are saturated with the love of God. And so our belovedness and our brokenness form the essential context for com confronting our brokenness. I said that wrong, but you, you can read it, okay? Uh, the idea 
Uh, that idea on the screen will be more important today than ever as we talk about the next deadly sin that is up, and that is sloth, sloth. Uh, maybe you're like me. I hear the word sloth, and I think of sloth. Yes, right. How can you not love a sloth? Uh, sloths are mammals that have the slowest digestive system on the planet. One meal that a sloth eats takes two weeks to digest, okay? So if you are uh, in a situation where it takes that long for your body to get the energy it needs, then it makes sense that you will spend your entire life devoted to nothing but conserving energy. And so that's what sloths do. Sloths sleep 15 hours a day. That only leaves nine hours each day for lumbering slowly, slowly, slowly through the trees. On average, a sloth will only move about 40 yards a day. Okay, so despite how it appears, your teenager probably isn't a sloth after all. Uh, because of the nature of this animal called a sloth, the word sloth has become synonymous with all of those characters of this animal. Uh, things like relaxation and rest and slumber and moving slowly and not very far. Sloth is when you don't get your steps in for the day. Sloth is when your teenager sleeps until 2 in the afternoon. And maybe they are sloth after all, okay? There are three toad varieties of sloth. There are four toad varieties. And for us today, there is the super common five-toed variety of sloth. Uh, the wild version of this is usually found in the confines of a basement, on a lounge, uh, on a couch, lounging with Cheeto dust all over them, uh, hypnotized by pixels. And that's, that's the human version, and that's what will help us to unpack this word, sloth. Sloth just means this, reluctance to work or to make effort. And so to call somebody a sloth is to say they are lazy or sluggish or lethargic or idle or apathetic. It, nobody puts sloth on a resume. There are, there's an ancient word when you start diving into this that you'll find, and it's the word acedia. Uh, comes from a Greek word, akedia, and it means a lack of care. And when somebody lacks care, when they don't care about something, it turns out that you can predict certain behaviors that they will engage in pretty accurately. The ancient writers of Scripture knew this, specifically in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the writers tackle this topic all the time, and when they come to this idea of sloth, they just use a different word. They use the word sluggard for this idea. And here's what we learn. Number one, when you don't care about something, you don't love because you don't love. Proverbs verse 20, uh, in, in chapter 21 says, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sluggard, the slothful, have desires just like everybody else, but they refuse to work or expend energy towards those desires. And so lazy, slothful people live dissatisfied lives in part because they are not dissatisfied with their lives enough. That's what the problem is. So I'm sitting in my recliner, and I want to change the channel on the TV, but the remote, oh my goodness, the remote is all the way on the other side of the room. Anybody? 
what am I going to do? You know what? Peppa Pig isn't that bad after all. Let's just watch Peppa Pig. Flop is when I don't care enough to love something enough, to work enough, to have enough. Or, let's say it this way, sloth is not loving life enough so that I work hard so that more of that life can be enjoyed. Sloth does not love things. Here's the other thing we learned. When you don't care, you don't finish things. You don't love things. You don't finish things. Uh, The best picture of this is in Proverbs chapter 19. It says this, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to its, his mouth. He just, his hand is stuck in the dish. When we think lazy, we think of people who don't start things, who don't get up and do things. But there's also a side to laziness that doesn't ever finish things. People in this boat are always making plans. They're always in the middle of a project, but they're never finishing anything. It's kind of like the hungry person that sits down to eat, and they stick their fork in the food, and then they, they freeze. They freeze like they're it's like a video buffering, and that's the way they stay. And that's not normal. That's what the Proverbs writer is trying to get at. It's not normal to leave your hand on the plate. Of course you bring it back so that you can eat. Not finishing what we start isn't normal either, but sloth creeps in, and when we don't care much, we find we don't finish things. Here's number three. When you don't care, you don't face things. From chapter 26, there are four satirical looks at the sluggard. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. That's number one. As a door turns on its hinges, the sluggard on his bed. That's the picture number two. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out and brings uh, to bring it back to his mouth. Wait, didn't we cover that already? Yes, it's here again. That's number three. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than the seven men around him who can answer sensibly. That's number four. Four pictures that say, I don't want to face anything. I don't want to face my responsibility. There's a lion out there, so I'm not going out there to face that responsibility. That's a crazy excuse. But a sluggard will use any excuse to get him out of what he wants to do. He doesn't want to do, right? The sluggard turns in his bed. What is that? I don't want to face the day. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. What is that? I don't want to face having to work. And then the sluggard is wiser than everyone else. He won't take advice. What is that? I don't want to face the truth. I don't want to face life. There's always an excuse There's always a reason. There's always something else to blame. The excuses of the slothful look ridiculous to everybody else, but not to them. Sloth refuses to face things, not the least of which is what sloth has turned them into. Here's number four. When you don't care, you don't notice things. Proverbs chapter 20 says this, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Farmers in the ancient world uh, did not have all of the tools and equipment that we have now. Uh, Farmers now can predict with astonishing uh, accuracy when it will rain, when uh, the weather will change. By the way, how many of you brought your plants in Friday night or went out and turned off your hose Friday night because we knew it was going to freeze, right? 
We know that now. They didn't know that. They didn't have this kind of luxury back then. And so they had to be students of the weather patterns. They had to plan ahead. They didn't know if it was going to rain Tuesday or freeze Friday. They just knew that it would rain eventually. And it's not raining now, so that means I need to be out in the field working now. I know it's going to turn cold at some point in the future. It's not cold now, so let's prepare ahead of time for when the cold comes. That's the standard operating procedure. But the lazy, the sluggard, operates differently. He says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own schedule. Whenever I want, that's what I'm going to do. Whenever, whatever. Weather, I don't really care about the weather. I've got more pressing concerns. I've got some cake to eat. And the sluggard is so self-absorbed in his own pursuits that he does not notice the windows of opportunity in front of him that might be closing and that may never open up again. The slothful doesn't realize that when they're crawling, they only learn to walk once and then it's gone. The slothful doesn't realize that there won't maybe always be time to make things right. This might be the last time that we talk. The slothful doesn't notice that. The slothful doesn't realize that the job is not the thing that's going to be around him at his deathbed. Only the people that he took time for in life will be around at that time. And that time to love them so that they're loyal is closing. And once it's closed, it's gone. The slothful doesn't realize there's a time for everything, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend. Lazy hearts fail to notice the things around them that really matter. And so all of that, let's pack into this line, that sloth is simply not caring. Sloth is love diminished. Whether it's towards my neighbor, my unconcern is towards my soul or towards my world or toward God himself. It's just not caring. Now, let's press pause, take a time out and just say, really? Is that a, is that a, that's a deadly sin? Right? Uh, surely, sloth out of all of them is kind of lightweight, right? Others we get. Pride goes before a fall. Anger leads to violence, leads to death. Get that? Lust dissolves us from the inside out. Envy puts Jesus on the cross. Even gluttony, we have this intuitive idea that if we eat too many sticks of fried butter, it will go bad for us, right? But sloth, how is that deadly? How do I die from taking it easy? I've never been to a funeral where the obituary said she, she died of too many naps. It, it doesn't go that way. Maybe sloth never gets us the corner office. Maybe we don't climb the ladder like we could have. You know, maybe we never get to the point where we can afford the vacation home with a nice view on the lake. But is that the worst thing in the world? On top of that, add this, most of us, we could even gather our friends around and we would not label ourselves, they would not label us as lazy people, right? We're the most hyperactive culture on the planet. We drink Red Bull and chase it with five-hour energy. We work 
longer hours and take fewer vacations than most, <clears throat> most of the industrialized world. And when we're not working, we're even still working because we've got a project at home or I have to drive one kid here and I have to drive another kid there and then I have to go pick up the prescription and then I can't miss uh, the workout at the gym, okay? Just for fun this week, go down to the CrossFit gym, stick your head in there and start calling all of those people in there, a bunch of sloths. See how that goes for you, right? There's a reason sloth isn't talked about much. Uh, even in my resources this week, uh, they were thimbleful compared to great buckets of information about the other deadly sins. And so sloth seems irrelevant. It doesn't seem deadly at all. And if sloth is not caring, then it doesn't seem like it's a bad thing to not care too much about not caring. Evagrius Ponticus was one of the desert fathers. Uh, desert fathers were monks that lived in about the third and fourth centuries. And what they did was they decided we need to separate ourselves from the evils of the world. And so they moved out into the desert and they created these little communities where it would just be isolated believers and, and there would be no sin, right? Um, and what they came to realize once they got out into these little communities was that sin cannot be escaped like that. Uh, it's really hard to escape sin when sin comes with you. Sin was inside of them. And so they began to dissect all of these things, and that's where the seven deadly sins came from. They were the first to profile and name them and spend ink writing about them. And when they come to this idea of sloth, they call it this the noonday demon. Because in the middle of the day, when the sun was high over the desert, the temperature was up, their metabolism was low, they experienced what any college student experiences in a class after lunch. It was hard to pay attention. It was hard to stay awake. It was hard to study. And Eva Grius wrote this, the demon of acedia, that's sloth, remember, attacks the monk, monk about the fourth hour. First of all, he makes it appear that the sun moves slowly or not at all, and that the day seems to be 50 hours long. And then he compels the monk to look constantly toward the windows, to want to jump out of his cell. And he further instills in him a dislike for the place and for the state of life itself, for manual labor. And sloth also instills the idea that love has disappeared from among the brothers, and that there is no one who cares about him. Sloth leads him to a desire for other places and to pursue a trade that is easier and more productive. And he adds that pleasing the Lord is surely not a question of being in a particular place. What's Evagrius saying? That this particular demon of sloth, this deadly sin, could bring a committed monk to the point of quitting his vocation and abandoning God's call on his life. Sloth tempts us to take it easy, to take the easy way out. Sloth wants us to avoid the hard things in life. It causes us to lose our appetite for God. Sloth wants us to care not in the least about growing our faith. And that's why it's deadly. Deadly because it's in, in its final form. Sloth tempts us to not care about God. 
and not caring about God means not loving God, and not loving God means not knowing God, and not knowing God means not believing in God. Sloth leads to unbelief. That's deadly. Dorothy Sayers defines sloth as the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing it would die for. And we understand now why this is so destructive to our lives. It can separate us from God himself. So, how do we wreck this sloth in our life? How do we wreck a sloth? Well, it's pretty easy. They move really slowly. I couldn't resist that one. Okay. All right. Each week, we tried to identify a virtue that would be the antidote, right, to the deadly sin. And for pride, it was humility. For anger, it was love of the right things, the righteous things, we could say. For gluttony, it was filling ourselves with the wholeness of God instead of processed junk. Uh, For envy, it was uh, worship. That's the answer. It takes us to a place, uh, worship does, where we won't want anyone else's life. So what is it for sloth? The danger of sloth is that it leads to patterns of thought and behavior that create the perfect environment for other sins to grow. And so if you leave a field untilled and unmowed, it's not long until that field is full of weeds and saplings and brush. And and just like that, a slothful heart becomes fertile ground for all kinds of vice. Sloth has at its core a craving, right? It does want things. It just doesn't want the effort that goes along with acquiring those things. And so the question is, How do we come to have the motivation for expending the effort? What has to happen in my life for me to decide that getting up and going across the room and fetching the remote is worth it? What has to happen in my life for me to decide that the invasive surgery is worth somebody cutting me open for? What has to happen in my life to come to a point where I actually make changes. I don't just talk about them anymore, but I'm going to overcome the addiction. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to be the parent. I'm going to put my marriage first before anything else. And our little sermon text has one of the keys to driving sloth from our lives. Here it is, Romans chapter 12. We read it earlier. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. A few important words there. First, zeal. Zeal is to have an eagerness or an enthusiasm. It's when you pop out of bed first thing because something tremendous is on the calendar for that day and you just can't wait. It is, it's Christmas for a six-year-old. That's this word. And the instruction is, don't be slothful. Be filled with zeal, enthusiasm. Don't ever get to the point that you don't care anymore about your enthusiasm for your faith. Okay, we get that. That's the goal. But how do we get sloth out of the way? Here's word number two, fervent. It means to be stirred up emotionally. The word literally means to bring something to a boil. And it is about being on fire 
for something in your life. And Paul says, don't ever get to the point where you don't care about your relationship with God. Make it be on fire to the point of boiling over. Be fervent in your soul to know and to serve Jesus. Again, we get that. That's the goal, okay? The, the sloth is the obstacle to that goal. And so the question remains, how do we stay on fire? How do we become uh, zealous for our faith? Here it is, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Do <clears throat> you know what hope is? Hope is the feeling that there is something better coming down the line. And so I get up out of my recliner and I go across the room and I pick up the remote because I hope. I know that there's a game on that will be better than Peppa Pig. Hope lets the doctor come at me with a scalpel, not because I want to be cut open, but because my knee has racked me with pain for years and I want to walk in comfort again and cutting is the only way that that happens. Hope tells me that the cookie on the counter is not worth what the scale will tell me after I eat it. Hope is what drives sloth out of our lives if sloth is inaction and indifference. And so here's the seatbelt that I want to give you today in one word, devotion. Devotion. If sloth is a lack of care, then the opposite of lack of care is to care abundantly. It's to care profusely. It's to care tremendously. It's to be devoted. When you're devoted to someone or something, you don't just care about them a little. You care about them a lot. And the difference between a little and a lot is that you're willing to get up out of your chair and to do something. Devotion is loving someone enough that you're willing to expend energy on their behalf. You actually want to work, to labor for them. I want you to think of those things that you would you would jump for. The thing in your life that you would get up at 4 a.m. for if you had to. The thing in your life that you would give your last dollar for if you had to. The, those are the things that you're devoted to. And devotion always demands action. Devotion is never without action. Caring action towards something or someone is the antithesis of sloth, and it drives it out. And so I want to put those two ideas together, this idea of hope and this idea of devotion, and here's the good news for you today. This is your hope, if you are a Christian, that Jesus is devoted to you. Jesus cared enough to act for you on one hand. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy sat before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus endured unfathomable, crushing defeat. He acted. He got up out of his chair. He went to a cross. Why? Because there was something better coming down the road. And that something better, Hebrews tells us what it is. It was the joy that was set before him. Do you know what that is? That's you. You are his joy. Your salvation was the something better that caught, got him up. He is devoted to you. He's, he cared enough to do whatever it took 
to win your salvation. And it turns out it took a cross. And so if he acted for you in that way, surely that's enough for you now to do the work that is in front of you. If that doesn't change your indifference to God, the fact that Jesus gave his life for you, I'm not sure what will, but there's more. On one hand, he acted for you. On the other hand, he cared enough to also prepare for you. Hope is something uh, that, that we have when we know that there's something better coming. Our hope is that Jesus gives us salvation. And if, if, if that were all he were to give to us, that would be enough. But there's still more. When I was in uh, high school, as a sophomore, I managed to play a little basketball for the Tigers. Uh, grew up here. And I say a little basketball because that's exactly what it was. Uh, there's very little basketball to be played when you're at the end of the bench. And that's what I played. But it does mean that I got to be involved in the coaching. And I remember one particular occasion that the team was all huddled up and uh, our coach, uh, Dave Regan, was the assistant at the time. Some of you remember Dave. And um, his job that day was to get us fired up, to get us boiling over, to get us fervent, right? And he was in the middle of this speech and and I don't remember anything else about it, but I remember, like it was yesterday, this part. He said, boys, Fort Scott is behind you when you win. He said, when you win, they will fill up these seats. And he pointed to all the seats in the gym. He said, there won't be one left. It will be standing room only when you win. When you win, they'll be lined up, up and down the steps to watch you play. Fort Scott is behind you when you win. But here's something that I also want you to know today, boys. That Fort Scott is also behind you when you win. When you win, nothing will keep them away. What was the message? Win. <laughs> Only win, right? Nobody wants to come and watch a loser. So win. And what I've found over my life is that that's true. So much easier to watch a winner. I've been a Chiefs fan from my earliest days. And when somebody asks me if I'm a true Chiefs fan and not just piling on the bandwagon, I just say Bill Kinney. <laughs> if you're a Chiefs fan and you got through the Bill Kinney years, you're a true Chiefs fan. If you stuck with them through those times, you're there. But I have to say... It is much easier to be a fan right now with Patrick Mahomes, is it not? Yes, will you agree with me? Yeah, it's easy to watch the entire game because there's always a chance, right? There's always hope. It's easy to spend money on chief stuff and even to buy a ticket now and then. Why? Because they win. They win. It's amazingly easy to follow a winner. And when your team wins, you get out of your chair. You get into a jersey, you log on to Ticketmaster, you drive to Kansas City, and you plant yourself in the stadium seats. Here's the hope that we have in Jesus. He wins. He wins. He's won the victory. He won it for us. He took our curse upon himself. He took a crown of thorns, and he beat death 
to the ground. He won, and that means that you and I win too. And everyone who puts their saving, their trust in his saving work will one day get that reward that he earned. We will get a perfect, renewed world without thorns at all. Let's end the way we started. Our belovedness and our blessedness form the essential context for confronting our brokenness. Do you know what you are today? You are beloved because Jesus acted for you. You are blessed because not only did he act for you and win salvation for you, but now he's prepared a heaven, a perfect future for you. And knowing that there's something better down the road should get you off the couch today. Sloth is indifference to our souls. And it will keep us from the life that we are made for. Sloth will praise us as we make ruts in our life. We know that they're unhealthy. Sloth will just tell us, hey, that's the way life is. Don't worry about it. It's a lie. Because something better is coming. God sees your future. Anne Lamont has this famous line. She says the secret, and this week I want to add the, se- the, the secret is to sloth. The secret to sloth is that God loves us exactly the way we are and that he loves us too much to let us stay like this. And so God will need to do some surgery. He'll need to cut on us a little, but we are fine sitting on the operating table again and again and inviting the knife into our life because we're not satisfied any longer with the way things are. We don't just want to sit around and stare content with Peppa Pig on the TV. We actually want to care for our souls and for God eagerly and fervently so that sloth is driven away. Why? What's our motive? Because we see the future that God has promised us in Jesus. It's a future that begins right now as we are made whole, as we are forgiven of sin and adopted into God's family. And it's a future that we long for because there's something better down the road. We're behind Jesus because he won. And the future that his victory brings makes today the day to leave sloth behind, to be devoted to the one who is devoted to us, and to get to work. Father, would you drive this sloth from our lives, this indifference to you, to your truth, this indifference to the people around us, drive that far from us. Would you help us to see a Savior who is so devoted to us that he did not quit? And would you help us to be motivated not to quit ourselves? Give us life in his name.